it's like the same feeling you get when you go over the top of a roller coaster, right? Yeah. And you get that empty feeling and courage is like that. And it's something that because it feels so rotten inside of you, you humans tend to want to avoid that. We don't like that discomfort. Welcome to Long We Live podcast. I'm your host, Asa Trichikoskaita. I'm here to remind you the power of your mind and that you are the creator of your life and your story. We'll talk about all things mind, body and soul and the connection between our inner dialogue, our thoughts and how it affects our bodies. I'll share my best advice, lessons and mindset shifts so you could stop overthinking and find peace of mind. I'm talking with Raz Hanash. He's the founder of STEM Academics and Physics for Fun Tutoring. He's been tutoring high school and college math and science for over 15 years. He served for almost two decades at America's National Laboratories in Livermore, working in nuclear physics for the Atomic Vapor Laser Isotope Separation Program and in chemical kinetics at Sandia National Laboratories. This is a very interesting episode where we talk about amazingly crazy stories and I can't wait you to hear Russ sharing them with you. I really wanted to hear uh, the story behind your bankruptcy and yeah, it was the first topic that I was interested in. So if you could tell us more and take us behind the scenes, like what happened? Okay, well, I'm going to take you a little bit further back to something else you and I spoke about. So sure. I, all, all of these events kind of tied into each other, but there was a lot of time in between them, you know, 10 years in between some of these events. Um, so, but, but, you know, if I go all the way back to my childhood, my childhood started out challenging because my parents believed uh, in that, that saying, uh, spoil the child, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. And so uh, I would get some pretty vicious beatings when I was a very young kid. I was like six years old when I remember getting whipped with leather belts and stuff. Um, yeah. So, so I, I had this, I had this very, very strict, uh, very rough upbringing that way. And I, I do want to be clear for your listeners that my parents and I have reconciled and, you know, they've apologized. They know that that wasn't a good way to raise a child and, and I've moved on and have forgiven them. So everything's good there, but but as a six-year-old, having to like deal with that kind of, of, of discipline, um, it, was, it was traumatic for me. Um, and so that, that really shaped a lot of the things I did as a teen uh, and how I grew up. Um, so, but then to get back to the question you were asking, so I'm going into, into adulthood with that baggage hanging over my head. And I meet this girl, just the love of my life, my, my, my sweetheart. Um, and uh, we, we hooked up just instantly. We, we just knew we were for each other. Um, we, we were living together within like four months of the time we met and engaged to be married in less than a year after we met. And so, you know, things were just going great. And, uh, you know, while, while I was dating her, she had shared this story with me uh, about her previous boyfriend and how she'd been engaged to somebody else. And, and she had left him just a couple days before their wedding because she just didn't feel he was the right guy for her. And so I went into this relationship with that knowledge. 
And kind of my attitude was, well, that's the kind of thing you do once in a lifetime. You don't just do that repeatedly. Well, now you can probably see where this story is going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so three days before our wedding, uh, this was a little over three years after we um, met and a year after I had uh, proposed to her, um, she left me for a married man. So three days before this wedding, I, I had $8,000 out there in like the honeymoon trip. So I had to take on all that debt and uh, including this honeymoon trip. Well, I already had the honeymoon trip. So I, I called up my friend Howie and asked him if he wanted to go on a honeymoon with me. And so my buddy Howie and I went. And like you had such a tough upbringing, but when you were like telling the story and sharing such shocking facts like it seems like you have such a good attitude towards everything like okay. how do you think where did it come from in like from your childhood that's that's a really good question because reflecting back on my childhood you would have think that i would have been just beaten into submission uh but instead i i took a different track Um, you know, a lot of people, if, if their parents were coming to them telling them, oh, you did something really bad and here we're going to punish you for that, they would just accept that and, and stay quiet and not do anything about it. Me, I went and I started learning how to be a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. And I finally, uh, from the time I was 12 until I was 14, I lifted weights and just made myself bigger. And until finally, eventually, I, I could stop my father when he went to hit me. And I, I just put a physical stop to it myself. And so yeah, it was one of the things I learned from that was that, hey, I, if you stand up for yourself, you actually can, you can make things like that stop. So you just literally build up the strength to face the fear, the struggles. And I think that's what really helped you along the way in your journey. That's right. Yeah. And, and seeing that I could accomplish something. When, when you get, when you register that first, that first big win, then that really helps build that confidence up. And when you have, have that confidence, like, like Dan Sullivan teaches us, when you build that confidence up, then you get new capabilities and, and you can make new commitments and learn new things. Yeah, you're a great proof that confidence is a muscle. You know, some people say that, oh, I don't feel that I like have the strength or I have the courage. You don't have to have it. You have to build it up, right? That's right. We, we all have something, some of that deep inside of us. And it's like a muscle and you've got to work it. And, and at first, it is not a good feeling. It, it takes courage. And courage is not a good feeling. I, hey, have you ever jumped out of an airplane? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Excellent. So you know that feeling. It's like the same feeling you get when you go over the top of a roller coaster, right? Yeah. And you get that empty feeling. And courage is like that. And it's something that because it feels so rotten inside of you, you humans tend to want to avoid that. We don't like that discomfort. But I, I think, okay, to, to get to your question here, I, I think I was raised in a very uncomfortable situation. I, I was, I was, it, I was being... I was having this discomfort forced on me as, as a very young child. And, and so I got used to that. And so now the question is, okay, I'm living in this discomfort. What can I do to better my situation? 
And yeah. so that, that was that was kind of the track that I took. And I, I think that's really the secret that keeps me going. Yeah, and that's really where the empowering empowerment comes from. Right. Yeah. We're getting back to your story. All right. So now I, I I've gone on this honeymoon with my buddy. And we had a great time. I, I, I will tell you that. Um, but then I come back and you've got to get back into life and you've got the real world. And so I spent the next 10 years trying to recover just relationship wise from that. And, you know, to, to find somebody else that I felt that happy with, that I felt that attracted to. Um, and, and I did, I, I met one or two other girls that they were great girls but they already had children. And at 30 years old, I wasn't really ready to become a stepdad. I was, I wanted to have my own family. I, I am the last remaining Hanish from my family line. And my dad growing up, my dad had always given me a hard time about, you know, you're the last of this name. If you don't get married and have kids, then the name dies with you. And so there was all this pressure that I had always felt. And I've, I've gotten over that. Can I <laughs> yeah, ask so you feel like you lost trust in another person because from how you described it you knew that your uh, sweetheart was uh, a running bride like there's a movie like it right but like you really trusted it like you trusted yourself and her like so have you ever felt that you lost trust in other people after the relationship oh absolutely Absolutely. That, that, that comes and goes. Um, you know, it, as we go through life, there are just certain people that we run into who tend to not treat other people well. And, and at first, you tend to blame yourself and kind of internalize it. Well, okay, well, how can I keep people from doing that kind of stuff to me? Um, but, but really, it's just, you know, some people have just... Uh, they had a rougher life than I just described being raised. And, and uh, you know, so, so they may not come at it with the same attitude. You are saying uh, that like some people had the rougher life, but it's not the end of your story because this is just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as I went through those next 10 years, dating got very expensive. And uh, between that and life expenses and trying to start businesses, um, other things like that, um, I, I built up a lot of debt. Oh, student, student loans was the other big one. Yeah. And so I built up a lot of debt over those next 10 years. And it was getting to this point where I was paying more just on the interest on credit cards than I had ever borrowed in the first place, let, let alone paying, you know, compared to what, uh, to the amount I had gotten in the first place, I, the interest payments themselves had passed that. And so there was no way I was ever going to get out from under this. And at the time I, I owned a house in this great little community called uh, Discovery Bay. And uh, so what I did was I sold that house uh, privately. And I, I was able to get out from under that house and get the mortgage out of the way. And then with that, I was able to go to the bankruptcy court and I was able to declare bankruptcy and just start from scratch. And I'm telling you, that was one of the best things I ever did. 
it, it just it completely cleared the slate and I was able to start with fresh, fresh slate and build up from there. And it's been, let's see, that was 2004. So it has been what, 17 years now. Like how did it feel? Oh, it's, it's, it is just such a beautiful feeling to talk about a huge weight being lifted off of your shoulders and, and just how, oh man, was, oh, now all of a sudden I can start building up some savings instead of paying everything to, to these banks that I've been borrowing money. So yeah, now, now the student loans, you couldn't clear through bankruptcy. I, I think it was 25 to 30 years to pay those students lo student loans off from the very, very beginning to the very end. Um, so the student loans can be really uh, quite a burden on people. And, and as, a, as a private math and science tutor myself, it's one of the things that I, I coach my students on is, you know, watch out for that student debt because that can be a real killer. Yeah, and it is a really big problem because we want to go to universities and study, but then we go out of it and we are already in debt, right? And it's such a heavy weight because as you That's said, right. most people are paying out uh, the debt for 30 years and even more sometimes. That's right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a medical doctor? I mean, mm -hmm. the loans they have got to take out and then to repay that. I, a, a lot of these doctors, you know, they even get their own practices and they can't make enough money to pay those loans back for, you know, 40 years. That's it's, it's big money. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's kind um, of like you just get stuck into the system and then you have a hard time to find a way out. That's right. And so, yeah, the ba bankruptcy was a good way around a lot of that. It didn't get me out of those student loans, like I mentioned, um, but it, it cleared the slate enough that, okay, I could focus on that. That's the only thing I've got that I'm paying on. And other than that, I was completely debt free. And then I, I could actually clear my slate and I could start putting money away in savings and, and actually start building. And things were good. I, I started a business. Um, I, I had a cousin who homeschooled her kids and she asked me to help teach her kids. And so they would come over to my place and I'd sit around a table with them and I would teach them, their math and their science, et cetera, et cetera. And they really enjoyed it. And I felt really, really good at it. And I knew at the time I needed to develop some kind of a way to make a living. Um, I guess I should back up a tiny little bit. Uh, during, during the time I was with that, my fiance and going through the, the 10 years building up the debt and stuff, I, I was working as a researcher at Lawrence Livermore and Sandia National Laboratories in California. They are nuclear laboratories. So we're working with things like uranium and plutonium. And, and I worked on one project where we were destroying chemical weapons. And so, so I worked on some really cool stuff. Um, so amazing. Sounds so interesting. And we'll just have to get to that later. <laughs> so so I, I had worked there, but while I was working there, I invented something called the periodic table of dimensions, which is up there on the wall behind. Okay. And the periodic table of dimensions does with measurements for physics, what the periodic table of elements does with elements for chemistry. 
So it takes all the different pieces that we deal with in physics and it puts them in an order that makes sense. And it shows how they're all related. So I had taken an early retirement from the labs to work on this research, my periodic table. And I took a three-year sabbatical. So Joe Polish has nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were like uh, beating him up in this race. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> if, I, if I ever see, if I ever get to talk to him about his sabbatical, I'm going to give him a hard time about that. Let me tell you. So, um, so, so I took a three-year sabbatical, developed my periodic table of dimensions. And then this was when I, I ran into my cousin and was starting to work with her kids. So I knew I needed to build some kind of a business. And it's just been such a joy. I've been able to just add so much value to some of these students' lives. But in 2018, one of the schools locally changed their policy as far as the tutoring list, which would have been one of my biggest sources of referrals. And um, they, they decided they were going to go with their own peer tutoring program and not have a tutoring list. And all of a sudden, my business just dropped down. I mean, I, I probably lost half of my business in that quarter. That was the worst quarter I've had in, uh, I, I'd been in business for, what, 12, 13 years at that point. Um, and I was just looking at that and I was just stunned. And while that was happening, my dog was going through all these medical problems as well. He had gotten a foxtail in his anal gland, which turned out to be a real pain in the butt for him. Had to say it. (laughs) It's like every time I'm listening to your story, it's hard for me to believe some facts, you know? (laughs) Oh, Oh, wait till you hear where this one goes. This poor dog. So... He got that foxtail in his butt. And then because he was laid out, laid down for that whole time while he was going through surgeries and stuff while we were trying to figure out what was wrong, he tore an ACL when he was back to health and playing again. So now he had to go in for for an anterior cruciate ligament. It's a ligament in your knee that holds your knee stable. Um, And so he had to go in for a $3,500 ACL repair. Meanwhile, I'm getting these weird things going on in my inner ear where my ear feels like it's plugged up all the time. Uh, It vibrates when I talk. And I'm a bass player, as you can see. And uh, I would be playing my bass and the notes would be shifted weird and they wouldn't be the right note, even though I knew it was playing the right note. I could verify that electronically. And so I went to an ear doctor and they got an MRI for me and diagnosed me with a brain tumor. So, so I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to get my dog's leg fixed for 3,500 bucks and being told that, no, I have a brain tumor. That's going to be, you know, $65,000. So my dog and I went through that together. He got his ACL repaired and I went in and I got my first brain surgery. Um, Took me three days to recover. So yeah, it was, it's amazing. Yeah. Brain surgery is nothing. There's no pain. There's no pain there because there's no pain receptors up there, except in the skin itself, which they deaden. Um, And afterwards, it's not like you're walking around on a, on a muscle that's been repaired or something like that. So I, 
three days later, I was tutoring. Yeah, I had this big old gauze bandage over my ear, um, but I, I was playing my bass again and then just every, everything was fine. Uh, the people I worked with wouldn't work with me because they said, no, you need to take time off. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. Like maybe it's from the movies that we think that it's like a very serious procedure because you think that it's like the main organ, you know, the uh -huh. brain. Yeah. Now, now the procedure itself is very dangerous. I mean, that that's, if they mess up during the procedure, they yeah. could do some very serious damage. Yeah, uh, it was some of the some of the things, some of the risks I was facing when I had to make the decision: Do I want to go in for this surgery or not? Um, was that they could have paralyzed my facial nerve? It, it all depends where the tumor was and such. And had they paralyzed my facial nerve, this whole side of my face would just be droopy. If you've ever seen somebody with Bell's palsy, that's what that yeah. looks like. And yeah. and so I. I was looking at that. I was looking at the possibility of never being able to hear out of this ear again, which uh, I, I put up quite a quite a fight with my doctor about that and made them do a special uh, type of surgery called a wall up surgery where they don't destroy your ear canal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But like the last time when you showed me the size of the tumor, it was almost like an egg. Yes. Like yes. I would compare to it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a 3D model of the tumor, and it is, it's about the size of a quail egg. So it was, uh, what, 25 centimeters around this direction and 35 long. And you can see I've colored this. The green part up here, this is the part they removed in the first surgery. But the surgeon missed all of this black part. Yeah, so, for, so the people, for the people, for the listeners who won't see it, yeah. can we just like describe that like they removed the half of it? They removed you, one third of it one and third, left two thirds behind. Yep. So we, we had the surgery. It took me three days to recover. Um, I, I'm going about doing my life again and, and trying to, you know, just get, get everything organized. When I was, let's see, this was in 2008. So I was, what, 45. Um, I, I had lost my previous dog. He, he was 14 and a half and he had gotten cancer and um, things happened. So, um, and I went away for the summer and I, I helped my mom walk, do a walk all the way up the East Coast of the US. So we walked from Florida to Maine. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> My, my, mom walked, stories, <laughs> my mom has walked all the way across the U.S. Wow. Yes. Really? And, and so I, I helped her on some big portions of that, but she's the only one that did the entire walk. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so another walk she did was up the East Coast from Daytona Beach, Florida to Madawaska, Maine. And so I spent the entire summer with her doing that after my dog died and I was depressed because my dog had died. And so I put on some weight. And when I got back home, I realized, you know, I wasn't weighing myself while I was on the road. So I got back home and I went, oh wow, I, I really packed some on. And so I, I, was, I was trying to get into hiking and stuff like that. Um, so one morning I go down and I, I go get my normal breakfast. I went to the park where I used to eat with my previous dog, Loki. And I look over and there's this little puppy 
playing with cars in the middle of the street. What? And, and I go over there and the cars can't drive down the street and they're starting to back up. And there's this puppy who wants to play with the car and they can't see the puppy, but they know he, that he's in front of their car. And so I went over and I rescued him and let the cars go. <laughs> and this was a park where the homeless people tend to hang out. And so one of the homeless people came over and, and asked me where I had found the puppy. And I explained to him he was playing with cars in the middle of the street. And he told me, that I know everybody around this park. Let's see if we can find where he lives. And this guy really did. He knew everybody. I mean, we went to every single door facing that park and they all said, hey, Rudy, how's it going? <laughs> That's so nice of him. And we couldn't find an owner. And since I had just previously lost a puppy and I, and I was looking for a puppy, I, I needed somebody to go hiking with me and do things like that. And so Toby was just perfect for me. Would you yeah. say that he found you or you found him? We found each other. Yeah. 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 He came looking for me, played with the car, and I happened to go over and have breakfast there that particular day, too. Yeah. yeah. And you guys have been through a lot together. Oh, yes. Yeah. When he was younger, we, we did one hike that was uh, 31.2 miles. That, that mm -hmm. is our record hike yeah, in, in a single day. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, he has just, he's done so many big hikes with me. I, we've hiked thousands of miles probably. And, uh, and he, he has chased off bears. Uh, he, he's found the trail when we were lost out in the wilderness. And yeah, so he's, he's, he's a great buddy. Yeah. He yes, sounds now, like a big adventure dog. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and then, then he had that string of medical issues. So. Um, yeah, because while he was healing from that uh, ACL repair, I had to keep him in a little cage because he wasn't allowed to move, wasn't even supposed to stand up. And he didn't like that. So he tried to chew his way out and it was a metal cage and he busted three of his teeth up and his face abscessed and his face was all swollen up. And I took him into the vet. They pulled three of his teeth, put him on antibiotics, and sent him home. Everything's fine. Well, about three months later, Toby starts wobbling and he can't even stay standing up and, and he's getting up in the middle of the night and going outside, which he never does. And one day I come home and he just kind of falls over and doesn't even try to get up. That's so and so I, I take him down to the doctor's. And they take him back and they do emergency surgery on him and they cut a chunk of liver out of him that's like the size of a baseball. And his liver had abscessed. Some, some of the bacteria from the abscess in his mouth had gotten through his system, passed the antibiotics, festered in his liver, and then abscessed his liver. So his liver exploded. And my vet, Ryan, fixed him, saved his life. And that was just the greatest thing. And then since then, Toby's also had a bleeding ulcer from the meds that they put him on for his arthritis. Um, and he saved his life again. So, yeah, yeah we, we've been blessed with a very, very good vet. And Toby has just got, he's just got the constitution <laughs> of a battleship. But it seems like uh, as he was recovering, he was getting into more serious and serious issues but it yeah. like ended up magically i would say that's right yeah 
Yeah, eventually we got to the end of that cycle. And, and yeah, every, every single one of those things was related to the previous thing. So yeah, it was really just all one big incident. But those incidents, you just have little things that keep happening, keep happening. And, and oh, let me tell you, did that drive the depression as I was going through all that? Because, you know, at first, I okay, yeah, my poor dog's hurt. He's got a fox tail in his butt. And then it's like, oh, wait. He's got a torn ACL. I have a brain tumor. He's got an abscess phase. His liver explodes. <laughs> it just starts beating down on you. And, uh, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh, yeah, I, I, I could. I could think about suicide right now. I could kill myself. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Is that really an answer, though? Like, how would that help, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I'd be gone and Toby would be alone. Yeah. And then and, you found out that you need another surgery, right? Uh-huh. That's During right. That and then I went back for my MRI and we saw that two thirds of a tumor that was still left in there. And I had to go in for another surgery. And uh, that one went really good. The doctor actually took pictures of my brain. I have literal photographs of my brain. Yeah, I know when you told me this, I thought it's so cool because I thought like I have an USD with my MRI scan of my brain and it's cool, but having like picture of your brain. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that, that was I was very impressed by that doctor. And uh, and after his surgery, I never need to go back. I've had an MRI and it came up clean. And I go back again five years after surgery for another check just to make sure. Um, but yeah, things are looking good there. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm going through all that and, you know, a lot of depression with that suicidal thoughts and, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to commit suicide. So what else am I going to do? Am I, am I going to lay on the couch and do nothing? Am I just gonna, you know, hide away in my house and mope for the rest of my life? Cause I had a hard year. And, you know, and the answer just kept coming back. No, you're, you're going to get up and you're going to try again and you're going to do it again. And so that's what I do. I, cause I don't know what else to do, but keep trying. And that's really what it all comes down to is I just don't know what else to do. <laughs> what would you say was the most helpful thing throughout that year for you? The most helpful. The most helpful thing throughout that year was that I had two separate clients who one, one at each surgery drove. Well, one, one of them lives here in town and she drove me like 200 miles to a doctor appointment, turned me on to the most amazing pastrami sandwiches, this place called Langer's in LA. Ooh, yeah. Very good. Um, and uh, then she also took me back for my first surgery. And so she's a great friend. And she, she will always just have this special place in my heart. And uh, then for the second surgery, a friend came from San Jose, California, which is 200 miles north of me, drove all the way down here, drove me another 200 miles to go to my appointment in, in L.A. traffic, mind you. So this was not pleasant. <laughs> and uh, and drove me all the way back. And, uh, and I just seen, you know, and just the, the way the rest of the community rallied around. I, I, I literally 
burn through all my savings paying for the, for the surgery, for the first surgery. And the people came together and they, they collected enough money for, to pay for my surgery. And uh, I, I was just the, the, the way that the community came together and just the outpouring of care and love from the community was just incredible. Yeah, I think it's very important to have a community and your tribe. And when people are saying that your clients can become your best supporters, you can like really say that because you have been through it. That's and right. How long have you been working together when this happened? I had been working with them for uh, the first family I'd been working with for about five years. The previous family I'd been working with for about seven years. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the great things about what I do is I get to work with these families for a long time. I, I, I work with them sometimes all the way from seventh, eighth grade up through and into college. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really a great pleasure. Um, and I, I just, I get adopted in and it's like, I've just got this giant family. I, I don't even have just a community at my business. My business is a family. Yeah. You really take a part in their life because some businesses have like really short-term relationships. And I think for most of us, long-term relationships, not even in business, but in life in general, like is the goal, Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My best friend that I still am in touch with on a regular basis and stuff, we, we met when we were sophomores in high school and uh, his birthday is the exact same day as mine. So, so yeah. So, so we've got that. We were born like three hours apart. Very cool. Um, yeah. And he lives in Utah now, but, but we stay in, in close touch and uh, that's been, let's see, uh that's been 32 years so yeah and my my second my i have one other friend who i see much more frequently um and i've known him I'm, i met him through the fiance who the, the runaway bride um and uh so, so i've known him since 1989 uh and we we've still stayed in touch uh he, he's been through a lot of hard times himself himself and uh he's still hanging in there but um he he has taken that i'm going to lay on the couch and let things let life pass me by kind of attitude and I, i do my best to drag him out what would you say you think is the biggest most important thing for you to keep the relationships going communication mm-hmm. yeah yeah you, you've got to constantly communicate with the people and um you know i There have been times I've gone, you know, with my friend from high school, his name's Dennis. And uh, there have been times, you know, we've gone probably over a year without talking to each other. But when you do talk to each other, you rekindle that friendship. And so it's, it's that constant, okay, uh, it's been a while, but hey, we're still touching base. Um, I, I have my, my first girlfriend ever found me on Facebook after, you know, 40 years Um, and so she still stays in touch with me. And so, I mean, that, that one goes way, way back as well. So, yeah, yeah I think technology helps a lot to like keep that communication, but I really want to ask you this because I think you grew up without the technology, cell phones, internet, right? 
That's right. We, we used to have to sit in the hallway on a phone with a cord attached to the wall and talk to our girlfriends in front of our parents. <laughs> Which yeah, was probably uh, embarrassing, right? Yeah, I, I can't say what I want to say. <laughs> yeah, but like, how do you feel now when everything is like so accessible and everything's like at your hand? But like, do we keep better relationships when we are so connected in a way and we can be so connected or do you still prefer real conversations do you still prefer to meet with people instead of having like a a call so so i think what technology has done is it has taken our relationships and spread them out more so we have a bigger breadth of relationships but not as much depth mm. Me personally, I prefer the deep relationship. I'm the kind of person I like to have one or two really deep friends. And that's who I spend all my time with. And then I have a whole bunch of other, you know, another circle of friends that are, okay, the, these are the people that we'll, we'll all get together if we're having a party or going to some event or something. And, and then there's that even bigger outer circle of kind of acquaintances and stuff like that. Um, but but it's those, those really super close friends. That's who I, I would spend all my time with yeah i think it's a very great insight about uh not having the depth in the conversations that are happening in the media or online and just like having it only when you meet a person personally and i think yeah that's why i love the podcasting model more because you can have those longer conversations, not only like a small chit chat here on Instagram or on Facebook, and here you can go more in depth, right? Right, yeah. And another thing I like about the podcasting model is it's saved, it's there. Whereas on Instagram, uh, okay, well, it's still there, but try to find it a month later, yeah. right? <laughs> and it disappears yeah. so quickly. Yeah. yeah, like while I'm talking with you, I'm, I'm thinking that like most of the marketing and most of the work got online, but still all of our life is happening offline. That's right. Yeah, that, that's it's where the real life Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we have to concentrate on there more because yeah. all of your story, it's all that great because it's like your real life experiences. And I think nowadays, especially like the youth we get so much into the social media that or into um, online games or something that we sometimes just forget that the offline exists that's right yeah we get so tied up into those phones and games yeah yeah i personally I, i i'm not real big on screen time i have a certain uh, I have certain times during the day that I put aside and that's when I'll check my email or clear all my Facebook notifications or whatever. Um, and, and other than that, it pretty much sits over there on the charger. I, I can actually forget my phone at home. So, yeah. So I, I'm not one of those people that's so addicted to it. It's like attached to me. Yeah. yeah. Same thing, same thing with TV. I, I turned news off and, and cable TV off three, four years ago and I don't miss it a bit. Yeah. 
So I still agree on this. I don't have television in my house for I don't know, probably seven or something like years. Oh yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if people have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I watch a movie occasionally on here. You know, I'll sit down. Christmas Day, I binged on movies. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, but other than that, you know, I was, I, I'll be watching a, a marketing video or something, you know, one of our elf coaching presentations or something. And, and I've got it wired over here to my big screen. And so I'll just turn the big screen on. It has been so lovely to chat with you. I'm so grateful for you that you agreed to share your story. Sure thing. And I want to share, Russ, where people can find you and listen to your podcast and just learn more about you. Okay. Um, so I, I am a math and science tutor, like I mentioned, and my, my website is physicsforfun.com. And then I also have my podcast. And my podcast is the Make Your First Million podcast, which is a podcast for uh, aspiring young entrepreneurs, people who are just trying to bootstrap themselves up and get to that first million where we can take advantage of all these great genius networks and things like that. Um, and that can be found at Apple Podcasts. It's the Make Your First Million podcast with Russ Hanish. Thank you, Russ. It was a pleasure. 